Welcome to Four Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller. It's a really special conversation today. We're going to talk about the uh, Arc Best acquisition of Molo. And here with me are the two folks that help orchestrate this transaction. Uh, Danny Lowe, who's the president of Asset Light Services at Arc Best, as well as the chief yield officer of the overall entire organization of Arc Best. Uh, and Andrew Silver, who is the CEO of Molo. Gentlemen, welcome to Fuller Speed. Really excited to have you. Thanks for having us. So I want to get a little bit of context. Molo was a very big exit for this industry and really one that's probably the largest cash exit of any uh, venture uh, vintage uh, company in our space. And what I mean by that is if you sort of look at the venture outbreak of freight tech transactions, when we look at the sort of the venture date is about 2015 and beyond. We've seen a lot of capital raised, but we haven't seen a lot of substantial cash exits. And this actually took place. And so, Andrew, tell us a little bit about the background of Molo for those that are not familiar with the story. Sure. So uh, we were founded in July 2017 by three gentlemen, Matt Vogrich, uh, Stefan Mathis, and Will Jenkins, guys with freight background. Matt actually came from IBM historically, uh, but had an interest in freight. And uh, the, the kind of concept was, we thought there was an opportunity for better in terms of the experience we could create for our customers. And you know, for us, we've always looked at our customers as kind of threefold, first and foremost being our employees, uh, second, the drivers, and, and third, the shippers, um, and, and, and trying to just do better for them. And, and we always felt like the bar wasn't high enough uh, in terms of expectations and, and how brokerages specifically delivered on those. And we thought just thought we could do better. And we showed up and, and, and kind of grinded our way for the last four years to get to this point. Um, just building, building on focusing on uh, execution and service, and that that's been our specialty from day one, and it's 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 been the focal point of what we've continued to execute on. Now, you guys didn't take a lot of venture capital. You did uh, effectively bootstrap this business, did you not? Yeah, so we went through three sets of uh, bootstrap type investors. Uh, first and foremost was uh, a couple of guys who were in the produce business who came with some freight, and that was meant to be a, a great way to start as you had some business to move. Um, second was kind of a friends and family round and third was, was similar. Um, and you know, we, we did bootstrap and, and cash was always tight for us. Uh, we couldn't pay carriers as fast as we wanted to. There were just, we weren't able to deliver the, you know, we, we moved the freight extremely well, but we weren't doing enough in terms of competing at the highest level with a lot of the other companies in our industry. And, and it's, it's a big reason why. Uh, a deal with ArcBest made so much sense for us is part of it was the capital that they could bring to the table to allow us to deliver better better services for our customers. So you've bootstrapped this business, one of the fastest growing uh, logistics companies in the country and in the history of logistics. And then you decide to exit. What what drove you to have that, uh, to make that decision? Yeah, so I, I, I still struggle to, to see it as, as really an exit as much as um, a, a booster for us. Um, we, we certainly um, no longer own the business, uh, but uh, we, we see an opportunity for us to continue to grow this thing and continue to put our people in a position to, to grow themselves as individuals. And that opportunity only gets better with, with a company like ArcBest. We, we initially thought we were going to go PE. In fact, um, there was another deal that I saw happen that, that drove us to uh, a, a PE conversation. We hired um, Amitabha Sarkar from JP Morgan to help us. Uh, build out a sim and, and go talk to all these private equity companies. But 
what we ultimately found was ArcBest bought so much more to the table for us with the conversations we had with Danny, what we could do together. Ultimately, we wanted to build a, a full logistics company. Um, we were a freight brokerage and, and, and ArcBest historically has been a number of things and they too had, had a, a similar goal to being a, a, a full logistics platform. And now we can offer that, right? We couldn't offer any LTL. We couldn't offer any intermodal expedited. Um, now we can do a lot more than what we were doing. And, and I couldn't have gotten that from a private equity company. Now, Andrew, you talked a lot about the fact that you guys are a freight brokerage business. And unlike a lot of the other upstarts that came out of venture capital, you didn't try to pretend to be something other than that. Um, do you think as you sort of look at the future, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about sort of what the plans are with ArcBest, but do you think that you start to really build a lot of that technology uh, roadmap out uh, to really enhance your operations? Or is it is it going to stay as really a brokerage business first? No, it, it should be a number of things, right? So um, brokerage is an important part of a logistics company. It, it, it gives you flexibility to make sure that no matter what's going on, you can get a load moved. Um, and, and that's who we've always been. Um, but ArcBest has has an old AB, AB tech team that, that has 500 people who are focused on build, building technological solutions for our customers. And while I never was um, prioritizing digitization as the solution uh, for the customer, it's a big part of the solution long-term. And for us, we lead with execution, we lead with people and relationships, but we want to arm them with the best technology to allow all of our customers, right, our people, the drivers and the shippers, to make the decisions that they need to make. Some want that simple click of a button and they get the load they need. Others, there's more complexity to it. There are conversations that need to be had and, and leveraging the people and relationships we, we have is, is a big part of that, but doing so with the tech that the AB tech team can supply us with, as well as uh, the mastery team, which will be the, the platform for our brokerage um, TMS. So Danny, you guys uh, have just acquired Molo, a big transaction. Your stock has been on fire. So it, it looks like investors have certainly uh, have uh, celebrated the deal. What motivated you guys to buy Molo? Sure. You know, I think the first piece is we had a truckload brokerage and we were starting to see growth and we've done a lot of market research knowing that, you know, it's a, it's a vast space that's out there, but we just kind of research on our own loyal non-price sensitive customers knew that there was a $3 billion market or spend of truckload just within it. And so uh, when I was kind of looking at our space, we were growing and I was impressed with the growth that, you know, the Molo team and Andrew had, but really was impressed by their ability to attract capacity and their ability to service the customer. And that was what led to the initial conversation. But I think from, from there, what we learned pretty quickly was just how customer obsessed Andrew and his team were. Um, just their ability. When we started talking about how many customers was enabling the growth, I think you know the light went off to Andrew and I when he was talking about, hey, we have 300 customers and we're on a run rate to, you know, to do 600 billion. And we say, well, we have 30,000 customers that have this need. And uh, so I think that's the, that was the initial phase. And then the more that we went through it, the more things made sense. Andrew talked about, you know, the, his, his, he's very much focused on people and the people ran the business. He talked about our technology piece. I think we almost started a little bit different, like technology led us and we were augmenting our people. And so they're very much on the primary, a contractual basis with customers. We were very transactional. And so to me, the two brokerages were very complimentary to, to each other. And that was, as with the more we had conversations, the more uh, the more excited I got about what the fit would look like. 
Now, did you guys look at other uh, potential acquisitions to sort of fill out this, or was this uh, very specific to Molo when when you made the acquisition? Was it the only company you really looked at? So, I mean, we kind of have an ongoing review of just potential acquisitions that's out there. But at that time, that's we we pursued Molo. That was our pursuit. Uh, we thought they were the right fit for us at that time. So, we think about the future of where this is all headed. You now have this really fast-paced high growth uh, part of your, your business. It's now part of the overall ArcFest brand. How do we think about what that means from a customer standpoint? Uh, uh, how, how will that help ArcFest grow? You know, I think kind of first just to say is we see we're in the part of the, the initial phases of integration, um, but we're going to have one kind of platform that goes to our customers from a truckload standpoint. And then and Andrew's leading that. That's going to be under the Molo brand as we do that. But for me, for customers, what customers are going to see is uh, kind of our transactional customers. I don't think we were serving our large uh, enterprise type customers very well. Um, and so that's the reason we kind of were in that more transactional world. The Molo team is very good about talking to customers, understanding the expect expectations of the customers, and then delivering on that. And so I think for, you know, if you say the Art Best Legacy customers, it's an introduction to that Molo level of service that uh, it would be that, you know, like you, I think Andrew said before, I don't think anyone else in the market is delivering that level of service like Molo is doing. I think for the, you know, the Mogul, Molo legacy customers, uh, their introduction, one, more carriers into the pool to be able to deliver, but also the introduction to this integrated suite of solutions that we have at ArtBest. And so it's not just a freight brokerage anymore. It's a logistics company that can deliver on any solution that the customer might need. So Andrew, you Service has been mentioned a lot. You guys are uh, have a deeper level of engagement with your clients than a typical brokerage. Or, or why is that? It just feels like that's a you know a lot of folks talk about service, but you feel like that's a real differentiator. What makes you guys different? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that everyone is a lot of companies have learned to talk that talk, and I think that very few have have been able to walk the walk. I mean, the, the negative connotations still exist around freight brokerage, whether it's uh, what you would call a traditional brokerage or a digital one. I've talked to so many shippers who are turned off by the concept of the digital broker based on the historical experience they've had. So for us, you continue to see the kind of spotlight on all this change happening in the industry. And yet the one thing that hasn't really changed is, is shippers find don't find that they necessarily have someone who's reliable day in and day out, no matter what's going on, whether it's weather or um, the chaos that we've all dealt with for, for the last year and a half. So for us, I, I do believe we really have been a step above most of our competitors. I think it's why we've won some of the awards we have for a company that's three, four years old to be recognized as kind of care of the year for companies like Anheuser-Busch um, or Target as we were for their food and beverage segment, segment last year. I think that speaks volumes to what we've been able to do for some of the largest shippers on the planet. And I just think that not many can can say they've done that in the time that we have. Now, this ArcVest thing, it, it, it allows us to scale faster and scale matters. It, it really does when it comes to thinking about a network and, and how you can get the trucks closest to the loads available for the customer. So for us, this was important to us to, to continue to grow as quickly as we want to, because I just, we can grind our way to being the top service provider but it shouldn't always have to be that way. We'll always work as hard as we possibly can to make sure our customers are happy, but being able to leverage the tech solutions that ArcFest has, as well as the um, different service offerings to make it a more holistic solution, 
um, than just brokerage. That matters. Andrew, when you guys announced the transaction to your employees, what was the reaction like? So we did this a little differently than I think most companies would. Um, I told our employees that we were thinking about this three months before we did it. Um, I certainly couldn't tell them that ArcBest was in the conversation, given the sensitivity of dealing with a public company. But we really we have been transparent with our people from day one. And people, I think, use the word transparency not quite like the way we do, uh, because our people know everything that's going on with our business. And they always have. We have meetings once a week or every other week where we talk through everything we're thinking about from a leadership perspective. So when we first considered doing private equity, we told them, hey, this is where we're at. We're thinking about private equity. We're, we need to go raise some capital. And I think I actually told them, I said, 95%, there's a 95% chance we'll do private equity. Maybe 5% we end up with a strategic partner. And we start having conversations with Danny. And I realized that this thing really makes sense. But we knew we had to have our people behind us for this to work or it wouldn't. Um, so as we got closer and closer, I said, hey, this is what we're thinking about. This is what I think the opportunity is. And I actually said, how do you all feel? Please let me know. And every email response we got back was we fully trust what you guys have to say and what you decide we're behind you no matter what, because if they weren't, then, then this wouldn't work a year, two years, five years down the road. And, and it's so important that this works as we continue to build this thing. And I imagine a lot of companies uh, that are in freight would love to have uh, Molo and the growth that you guys have in the culture. Why, why did you pick Artbeck specifically? Uh, Danny was a big part of that, frankly, um, trust that we had in him, that he would have our back as we continue to grow, um, before him, uh, Matt, our, my partner, Matt Vorich and I, we didn't really have to go to anyone when we wanted to make a decision. We just made the decision that we thought was best. Uh, we knew that was going to change no matter what. Um, so it was about getting really comfortable with someone and, and, and Danny was that answer. Uh, we met Judy and she was phenomenal. I really think she's someone I can learn from and, and I'm excited to get to know her more as we go down this path. Um, and, and then it really just was how we structured the thing and how we thought about the future together, knowing that um, there's a phrase, let Molo be Molo. That, that, that's something that we've talked about a lot in, in allowing us to continue to grow the way we know how. So our, our drivers, our customers, our people, our shippers, whatnot, um, all feel the same level of respect and service and appreciation that they've had from day one. So, Andrew, we've seen this play out before. Big mega company, uh, logistics company uh, buys a fast-growing, large-platform business, brokerage business. And over the course of a couple of years, the entire culture is gone. And effectively, the business they bought, while they may have retained some clients, a lot of that talent has then gone out to start their own brokerage businesses. Um, how do you avoid that uh, this time? Uh, how do you keep things together? And how do you protect the culture of Molo? Yeah, so that's, that was apparent to us before we did the deal. And, and it was something that we actually look as, a, as kind of like a chip on our shoulder, so to speak. Um, let's do it like nobody else has. And, and that's what we said when we started the company. We wanted to build a brokerage like nobody else has. And four years later, as we step into this with ArcBest, we think we can do a deal unlike anybody else has before where all we do is build on what we've done. I, I think that opportunity um, drives buy-in. And if you have our, our, our biggest, I think, differentiator, frankly, is our buy-in that our people have in the business. They trust us. They trust what we're doing. They believe in the vision. And they believe that when we tell them what we're doing, we're, we're honest with them and that we're going to go do that. And as we've asked them to do things over the last four years, we've said, if you do X, Y, Z, this will happen for us. We will grow. We will see more opportunity and more opportunity for the business means more opportunity for every individual. We've promoted 60 or so people in the last year and a half all because they showed up and delivered on the promises we made to our customers, which is all we asked of them. Now, what I've told them and what we've continued to tell them is we'll continue to be transparent with them, we'll continue to communicate them, and we'll continue to deliver the way we have. 
if we veer off of that course, then yeah, I'm certain that we'll have challenges, but I'm confident we won't. We don't have to because what we do works. Our customers appreciate it. We, we have very few customers who we don't grow with once we start hauling for them. They see what we do and they love it. And, and we're committed to standing by that and standing by the values that got us here. That, that's just who we are. And um, Danny and I are aligned on making sure that that's who we stay. Danny, how do you protect the culture or uh, enable Molo to be Molo and avoid the temptation that exists in so many boardrooms to take a company you've acquired and change the, the way they operate? Sure. You know, that was, Andrew said, this was a lot of our conversation along the way. I think, you know, one thing, I think you can tell that, that this was a thought beforehand when you look at the structure of the deal with the earnout. you know, uh, there's more than Andrew that had some ownership in the company. There's a lot of people, employees that have a vested interest in how this performs over the next few years. They're not going anywhere within that. But I think the other piece of it for me is, you know, Andrew had a company-wide meeting and what I told the employees and still today, I feel like part of my job is to be the keeper of the Molo spirit, right? It's to, it's to protect it. We want Molo to enjoy all the benefits of ArcBest and, you know, this corporate public company, the capital and the resources available to them. But all that should do is, is, is fuel the growth. It's not a limiter to the growth. It's just going to fuel the growth. Fuel, you know, we want Molo to, con- to, to continue to be Molo, just like Andrew talked about before. So I talked to a hedge fund, uh, a person that runs a hedge fund. And one of the reasons that he's invested in ArcVest is because of the of Molo specifically. He, he looked at market comps of some venture-backed freight tech companies that have traded at really high valuations and backed in that there was a lot of potential value that would be unlocked to Molo if it traded at some more comps. And I know, Danny, you can't talk about stock price. I'm not going to put you on the spot there. But as you think about the value, the long-term value and the digitization that's taking place across this industry, how do you think in the next couple of years that we'll see this industry evolve as it relates to this digitization trend that's that's taking place across the business? Sure. You know, Part of our, you know, our strategy as we were thinking of this, Andrew said it before, I think when you think of freight brokerage, scale matters, right? And so part of the, when we looked at Molo for, from an best perspective is we needed something to continue to build the scale to do it. Uh, I talked about technology first. And so when I think of, of freight brokerages or just anything in the asset light world that you deal in, it's about people and technology. But I'm a little different from how others think. Technology is not the leader there. Technology is meant to augment the abilities of our people. And so, yes, digitization is there, but people are there. Relationships matter. Um, you know, from our best perspective, our, our goal is to meet, whether it's, you know, our customers, whether that's a shipper or whether that's a carrier in the channel they want to meet us. If that's a digital channel and all they want to do is click a button, we're ready for them there. If they want to pick up the phone and call a broker, then we're there for them. And so to me, that is the answer in the world, because if you don't have the customers and you don't have your carriers, you're not going to be a broker very long. And so our focus is making sure we we ensure those relationships and technology is a big piece of that, but it's not the only piece. We've heard a lot about consolidation over the last couple of really for the last decade. There's been a a lot of discussions about the 3PL consolidation. Yet, even though we've seen a lot of transaction, it doesn't appear there's been a a real sort of downsizing of the overall 3PL market. In fact, it feels much much more the opposite, that third-party logistics is playing a much bigger role in the overall freight transactions. Danny, you guys have an asset-based operation that's sort of core to your business. Um, 
Do you think that over time we will see consolidation of the 3PL industry or will it be the opposite where 3PLs continue to play a larger and larger role inside the logistics spend and the asset providers are effectively working for the 3PLs? Yeah, I think there's always a part where assets are, are important, but I would say, I think what you're seeing right now, there's probably is some consolidation, but the growth of the market so fast that it, it, it masks it, if that makes sense. In other words, maybe the number of players are shrinking some, but the market's getting bigger. I think overall, to me, it goes back to customers and carriers is, can you meet their needs? And it, and if you're an asset and you can only meet a certain part of the needs, then maybe, yes, you have trouble doing that. I, that's the reason I like the position that we're in is that we can meet the need of our customers, whether it be with our assets or with, whether it be with the breadth of solutions we have in the asset light side, whether it be with truckload, whether it be with Expedite, whether it be with our managed solutions or even our international MVOCC, the, the ability to, to meet the needs of the customer. And then on the second side is when you get to talk about a logistics company, it's, it's what are what capacity do you have available to you? And so our best is unique in that part. You know, Andrew talked about how we deal with carriers and we view carriers as very much, we've got to meet their needs. But the other side is we start talking about whether it be in the, the LTL brokerage space that we, we are also are in, we're a carrier and we know what those carriers are looking for, right? I mean, I think we can provide a very better value to them as we're helping provide business to them than others that are simply in the game and they don't really understand what a carrier needs. Danny, do you think the a truckload, an asset-based truckload business would have been interesting or is it your view that truckload is just a really difficult business to own assets in? You know, I, I think that's a, that's a hard question. I mean, we do a little bit of dedicated where it's not specifically assets, but uh, we own the trailers and, you know, we're using owner operators uh, to, to work the business. I, I think our focus is we've really, from a corporate standpoint, have focused on trying to find a balance of our revenue that's coming from asset driven revenue compared to asset light driven revenue. And so in this case, we were really looking to continue to expand that percentage of our revenue that's coming from the asset light, partly from the capital return you get on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. So many companies are sort of changing their shapes uh, in, in sort of the, the modern day. We've seen Knight Swift by AAA Cooper, which is a NOAA company that you guys compete with. We've seen uh, Maersk uh, buy a number of global assets to sort of do end-to-end -end transportation. Uh, you know, we, we've seen uh, some of the ship lines have, have added an airline. It feels like we're moving into this sort of mode agnostic uh, territory. I mean, J.B. Hunt is is the largest uh, railroad customer uh, in existence, and it's just it's hard to know what is what. Um, do we think that this trend discontinues that we're going to see a lot of companies buying their ways into new markets, or do we think we're going to see consolidation of the players that are out there? Yeah, I think that's tough to call. I think what what's driving that is that people are listening to the customers, and customers are expressing needs, and if you if you can't develop the service to meet the need, but I agree with you, it's mode agnostic. And when we talk to customers, we don't want to go have a conversation about, hey, what are you, are you shipping this LTL? Are you shipping this truckload? We want to have a conversation about their supply chain. And we start at the supply chain and say, what are you trying to accomplish? And if we have those conversations, that leads into the different service lines that we have. And, and in those cases, you're taking care of what the customer is seeking. You're not selling a product. You really are partnering with them and being a trusted advisor to that customer. Andrew, thinking about as a founder uh, uh, and a CEO, it's your business. You now have an entirely 
new set of constituents and stakeholders that you have to be concerned about that is quite different than what you were before. What is that? What is that? What is it like to go through that process for you? Well, going through the process is stressful. I'll say that at, at a minimum, but um, it's exciting to be honest. It, it is. It's it's a new focal point for me um, and a couple of the members of our leadership team, and and we're we need to we need to focus that or concentrate that so the vast majority of our people can keep their focus on what they're doing day to day. Um, but it just it, it comes back to the fact that we were not able to offer our shippers as many solutions as we needed to. The mode agnostic concept is an important one because at the end of the day, if I'm just a broker and a shipper has a, a load that needs to move, whether it's seven pallets or 13 or 28, whatever it may be, if I'm solely focused on my truckload brokerage, I'm not giving them the best option that they may, may need. Um, and, and that's why I think that mode agnostic piece is important because you have to be able to look at the, the whole pie rather than just a piece of it and say, that's my solution. Um, but this is exciting for us. It's an opportunity for us to learn learn new things, learn about modes that we previously didn't have experience in and, 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 and work with these folks who, who have been you know, excited on their end uh, to get involved with us and, and work together. So, Andrew, if you can give a bit of wisdom for those founders that are on their own journey of starting their businesses and looking for a day of when they will have a liquidity event, what piece of advice would you give them? Know your customers, know what they want and give it to them. That's it. I, I think that the reason I've only ever talked about service and we've only ever focused on service is because the only thing I ever heard from from shippers, I'd call them and say, hey, can we haul for you? And they say, no, 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 we don't work with brokers because they don't service our freight well. And to me, it's like, okay, well, that's going to be the solution we provide. And four years and now $600 million of annual revenue later, we clearly found something that works, whether it's the awards we're getting or just the revenue as a whole, um, the growth as a whole. It's, it's clear that if, if you know what your, what your customers want from you and you give it to them, you've got a business that can work. And, and that, to me, I think people get a little bit clouded on what they're focusing on and focused on too much on what their competitors maybe are doing, whatever it may be. Um, but for us, we, we saw a very clear swim lane for us early and we've stuck in it. Now what we're seeing is our customers need more for us. We're getting deep with our shippers, but there's opportunity to get even deeper um, as we expand the breadth of services we can provide to them, which is a big reason why we're here sitting here with Danny. Yeah, it's a remarkable story. And getting from zero to 600 million is an astoundingly uh, successful business uh, by any measurement. And the fact that you've been able to put some points on the board and actually get some liquidity versus just raising uh, a bunch of money uh, to go then burn it is is also uh, commendable and, and something that should be celebrated more than it is. Uh, Danny, as we think about the future of ArcBest and we think about the next five years for the organization, what's next for you guys uh, as you integrate this business and look beyond where you're at today? First and foremost right now is we're working on the integration and you know we've kind of said that our focus on the integration is don't disrupt our employees, don't disrupt our customers, and don't disrupt our carriers. And so that's that's our kind of our guidepost that we are as we're working through the integration. Looking past that four to five years, I, you know, I'm excited to see what growth, you know, again, the the emphasis of the, the first conversations were about what can, with the combination of ArtBest and Molo, how does that speed up the growth that Molo has? And so, you know, that's on Andrew and I to execute on that, but excited for the future to see what we can do with that. Well, Jim, I've enjoyed it. I've got one last question before you go. Uh, Danny, I'll start with you. Bold prediction, next five years, things that are off people's radar, they should be thinking about, they're not. You know, I think it's right now, it's you're, everyone's in this capacity constraint and you, whether it's you're sitting here now and, and we talk about the, 
you know, ships sitting outside of the, the you know, the port in LA, uh, that's building up. I think it's, it's shippers partnering with trusted advisors and logistics companies. Uh, I think what people have learned that if you're just procuring in this marketplace, there's going to be an event that happens. Uh, I can't tell you what that event's going to be in the next five years. There's going to be an event that you need to make sure you have partners that can help you with your supply chain. And so, you know, I would, I think I see shippers or companies kind of moving more towards deeper relationships with logistics providers. Andrew, what about you? Bold prediction next five years. You know, I kind of want to piggyback on his, but take it a little bit further and say shipper collaboration, because I don't think shippers have ever collaborated nearly as much as they should, uh, given the opportunity there is to essentially create their own scale and create their own networks. And it'll be companies like ArcBest, Molo, and Molo that 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 can bridge that for them and be, the, I guess, the glue to it. Um, but it, it just, it, it's it's crazy to me that shippers who have so much density within their networks and create can create even more for themselves, they just don't today. Um, because I guess they are too stuck in their own swim lanes and they need companies like us to step into the fold and say, hey, what if we did this together? What if companies XYZ, whatever, came together and said we could do more together? I think that's that's the opportunity in front of us uh, when we do it the right way. Do you think we'll see valuations continue to expand in the digital freight world or do we think we're sort of topped out for now? I don't think there's any reason they should expand and that's how I'm going to leave that comment. Okay, we'll go leave it at that. Gentlemen, really appreciate Danny, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Probably not, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It is good for it is good for you guys, as I understand, uh, because you have this asset that's internal and owned by your shareholders. So, uh, congratulations on a great uh, 2021, Andrew. Congratulations on uh, the transaction, and best of luck as you guys integrate these businesses. It'll be a story that we'll stay close to and uh, hope to reconnect and uh, get updates periodically. Absolutely. Appreciate you having us on today. Thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. And you can tune in to Freightways TV. Uh, I host these uh, visits uh, with founders, executives, and decision makers across the industry. Uh, I am one of 12 shows that Freightways regularly produces, and you can get those on the Freightways TV app. And if you haven't already done, we've got, we're getting back in person. I'm 99% sure this is going to happen in Northwest Arkansas, the epicenter of North American supply chain. Danny, you agree with that? I agree. So we're all going to come into Northwest Arkansas and we're going to have the future of supply chain festival. So get your tickets today. Uh, They are available on the Freightways website.